0: Thank you, Doug. It is a great joy for me to be with you this morning. I have a warm place in my heart, obviously, for this congregation, for its pastors, elders, and for many of you who I've already met before. Uh, This goes back many, many years, actually, I guess, uh, back uh, to the hurricane. Uh, This church was a big supporter of ours. Many of you will remember that. Many of you came down to Gulfport, Mississippi and supported us after Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. Uh, As far as I know, still within the congregation, there are metal chairs uh, with Carriage Lane Presbyterian Church on the underside of those chairs, still there in the gymnasium at the church. So I'm grateful for this congregation in so many ways and am delighted to be with you this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to open it to the book of Habakkuk. If you don't uh, want to open your own Bibles, I think in the Pew Bible it's on page 738, if I remember correctly. 738. The theme verse for the missions conference this year is taken from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. And we'll back up and we'll look at the context of what's going on here. There are five woes that are pronounced upon the Chaldean people, the people of Babylon. And for their, uh, for their sin, as, a, as a, a message of judgment upon them, the Lord is giving a word of encouragement to Habakkuk and to the people of Judah. And so I want to set the whole context. This is the third of those five woes that are pronounced upon the Chaldean people. So we'll begin reading in Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, and we'll read through the theme verse, which is verse 14. This is God's word. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts, that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. A great God and King, We come before you this morning, humble, contrite, knowing that we have fallen short of the glory of God, asking that you would rend the heavens and come down, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds so that we might understand. Father, we need you to come and to attend to the preaching, the proclamation of your word. We long to see the earth Filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. And so, Father, won't you come and won't you begin here with us, we pray. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This may be a little bit atypical to start with a missions conference message with this introduction, but I'm going to risk it nonetheless because I think this is the setting in which Habakkuk is speaking. If you know anything at all about the context of what's going on here, Habakkuk is looking out at the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, and he's seeing violence and sin and injustice that's happening, and his heart is burdened. By what he sees. And he's been crying out before the Lord, crying out before the Lord, crying out before the Lord. And the Lord doesn't seem to listen, to hear. I wonder this morning if that's where you are or if that's where you've been. No doubt, if you've been a believer for any length of time, there are periods that you have experienced in your own lifetime where it seems as though God has been silent. Maybe some hardship has come into your life, maybe some difficulty, something that you know you cannot control, you cannot explain, you do not want. And you've been pouring out your heart before the Lord, asking him to take this away. And yet the prayers seemed to bounce off of the bedroom ceiling and return to you unanswered. There are times in the Christian life for all of us in which it seems as though God does not answer. In which it seems as though God is not there and that he does not care. That's where Habakkuk is as we begin This prophecy. If you have your Bibles open, and I encourage you to keep your Bibles open, look at the very beginning of this book. Habakkuk lays out his main complaint before the Lord. There are two complaints that Habakkuk will make before the Lord, and the Lord will answer twice. And we'll look at the second of those responses that the Lord has given to Habakkuk. But notice from the very beginning in verse 2. Where we see Habakkuk's heart, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked... Surround the righteous so that justice goes forth perverted. That's where Habakkuk is as we begin this prophecy. The Lord is silent. The Lord does not seem to hear. He does not seem to care for the plight of Habakkuk and the plight of his people. Those who have been diligently serving the Lord, seeking his face, and then, when the Lord finally does answer, beginning in verse 5 of the first chapter, he tells him, hold on, Habakkuk. You're not going to believe the answer that I'm going to give to your complaint. You wonder where I am. You wonder if I care. Well, watch this. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. And they're going to come, this invading armor army, and they're going to conquer the people of Judah. This unrighteous people, this pagan people... And and Habakkuk responds in verses 12 and following, and he says, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them, the Chaldeans, as a judgment. And and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly... Look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. You see the problem. Habakkuk now, his problem has gotten worse. Having poured out his heart before the Lord, now he's saying, he, and receiving the answer that the Chaldeans are coming to bring judgment upon his people, upon the people of Judah. Now Habakkuk says, Why? Why, Lord, do you not care? Why would you do this? Why would you raise up a people to come and conquer and bring harm to people who are more righteous than they are? There are times in the Christian life when we cannot understand what God is doing. When it seems as though our prayers are not answered and God is silent. And it's in that context... That I want you to see the encouragement. The encouragement that God gives to Habakkuk and to the people of Judah. The encouragement that God gives to you and me. When we find ourselves in similar circumstances as well. And it's in that second response that God makes in Habakkuk chapter 2. It's in that second response that our verse is located. Five Woes are pronounced upon the Chaldean people by the Lord. Now, a woe, a pronouncement of woe in the ancient Near East was something that was typically done at a funeral service. As a communication, if you will, of grief for the one who is no longer around. In this case, though, there is no funeral. In this case, though, there is no one who is dead. The pronouncement of woe comes upon those who are very much alive, the Chaldean people. And so you see the message seems to be that that even though they're alive, in the mind and the sight of God, they're very much dead. And that in itself is an encouragement to Habakkuk. That in itself ought to be an encouragement to God's people. For though the Chaldean army is going to come and is going to bring judgment upon God's people, yet in the mind of God, in the sight of God, they're already dead. They're dead. And it's the third of those pronouncements of death that Habakkuk or that we see Habakkuk receive tremendous encouragement. In verses 12 and following where he says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds founds a city on iniquity. Woe to the one like the Chaldean who comes in and he brings blood with him and spills blood as he builds and as he conquers. And then this beautiful promise, which is meant to give encouragement and hope And not only that, but also challenge and involvement. And that's the connection to missions that we'll see as we look at this promise. It's a great and glorious promise. Did you catch it as I read it? Verses 13 and 14. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations Weary themselves for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Three things that I want you to see today about this promise, this great and glorious promise. The first, and I think all three of these are in your outline, in your bulletin, but the first is the promise explained. What exactly is being promised here? That's what we want to focus in on. And I think if you see in verse 13, it's something that we can readily identify with here in verse 13. Is it not from the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor merely for fire? And nations weary themselves for nothing. You see, nothing that we build, nothing that we do except for the Lord will last. Everything we build, everything we do, short of what we do for Christ, will perish. The Chaldeans are coming in and they're going to build and they're going to conquer and yet... It's God who raises nations up, and it's God who brings nations low. It's God who brings kings and raises those kings up, and it's God who brings those kings low. You see, the whole promise here is this idea the fact that nothing will remain, that everything that is built, every building, even this church building, will one day be destroyed. It will not endure forever. And Habakkuk says, or the Lord says, in verse 13, that that, that that truth is from the Lord. That truth is from the Lord. Why is that from the Lord? Why is it true that nothing will remain? Why is that from the Lord? Verse 14, because. That's the importance of that conjunction for because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. You see what God is saying. Why is it from the Lord that nothing will remain? Because I am telling you, Habakkuk, and I am telling you, Judean people, and I am telling you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that the Chaldeans, though they're coming they, the Earth, will not be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Chaldeans. The Earth will not be filled with the knowledge of the glory of any human being. no matter the regime, no matter the dynasty, no matter how long or how powerful the institution. They will all crumble. They will all fall to the ground because God is promising that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. You see the encouragement that God is holding out to Habakkuk. Yes, the Chaldeans are coming. But they will not remain in place. Yes, the difficulty happens. Yes, there are times when we do not understand. But those times are the exception, praise God, that prove the rule that God is present and he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. This promise, before moving on, verse 14, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Requires a little bit of explanation. If you know anything at all about the Old Testament background to the word glory, you'll know that it literally means something like weightiness or heaviness. We might translate into our own, our own culture and call it significance. When something is weighty or heavy, it's significant. And so, when when the Lord here is talking about the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, He's talking about all people seeing, them knowing that He is weighty, that He is significant, that He is heavy in and of Himself. And the Lord says, That knowledge will fill the earth. The earth will recognize the weightiness of the Lord, the significance of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Now, let me ask you a question How do the waters cover the sea? I can think of at least two ways. If you can think of more, come see me after. Maybe I can add that to my notes. But I can think of at least two ways that the water covers the sea. First, it covers it completely. There is no corner, there is no aspect of the sea that is uncovered by the waters of the sea. So the waters of the sea cover the sea completely. So the promise here is that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of the weightiness of the Lord, it really will completely cover and fill the earth. But the second thing that I can see in terms of looking at how the waters cover the sea, is that they cover the sea with incredible depth. It's not simply a one-inch layer of water that covers over every corner, every aspect of the sea. No, it is thousands and thousands of feet. It is miles, and I think the deepest point is something like seven miles deep in the Mariana Trench. But something like seven miles deep of water is covering over the seas. And so we're looking at not only a complete filling of the earth, but a filling of the earth that is deep and broad. You see the point. Is that God is promising that people, in fact the whole earth, the earth will be filled. It will be completely filled with the knowledge of his weightiness. His significance. And it will be so filled that it will be deeply recognized. Seven miles deep, if you will. They will see it. Not in a shallow sense, but in the deepest sense possible. So that's the promise explained. And you can see the encouragement that that would have provided to Habakkuk. The Chaldean army, they're not going to remain. Their kingdom will not last forever. It will not remain. Because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Not of any human, person, king, kingdom, or institution. The second thing I want you to see this morning is the promise veiled. Because yes, even though God gives this promise even in the lifetime of Habakkuk and in our day too. We don't see that promise realized. We don't see the earth filled with the knowledge of the weightiness and significance of the Lord. We don't see that. We see it in corners and remote aspects as the church, God's people, embraces that reality. But we don't see the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Even in Habakkuk's day, As Chaldea comes into and invades Judah, as this invading army comes in and Habakkuk is waiting for it to happen, even at the very end of the book itself, that time is going to come and Habakkuk is going to look around and he's going to remember this promise and he's not going to see how it could possibly come to pass because everything around him would seem to communicate a different message. The Chaldean army seems to be invincible. They seem to hold sway. And there's no sign of their demise, no sign of their defeat. Isn't it like that in life? The three score and ten, or four score, or whatever it may be that God gives to us, or five score, or whatever it may be, whatever it is that God gives to us in life, it seems like it lasts forever. And so when evil happens, and when evil regimes come, and when evil powers seem to hold sway, it can seem like it's lasting forever, and there will be no break in it. Don't you know that's exactly where Habakkuk was? Because even though God has made this promise... It comes veiled. It comes veiled. One of my greatest, one of my favorite quotes from David Wells is in a book that he wrote a number of years ago, number of years ago, but 20, 30, well, 28 years ago, called God in the Wasteland. And we can imagine, published in 1994, we can imagine how much our world has changed since 1994 when he wrote this. But listen to what David Wells said about the world in which we live in 1994. It is one of the defining marks of our time that God is now weightless. Weightless? What does weightless mean? God is not seen as glorious. That's what he's saying. Listen to, what, listen to the full quote. It is one of the defining marks of our time that God is now weightless. I do not mean by this that he is ethereal, but rather that he has become unimportant. He rests upon the world so inconsequentially as not to be noticeable. He has lost his saliency for human life. Those who assure the pollsters of their belief in God's existence may nonetheless consider him less interesting than television. His commands less authoritative than their appetites for affluence and influence. His judgment no more awe-inspiring than the evening news. And his truth less compelling than the advertisers' sweet fog of flattery and lies. That is weightlessness. It is a condition we have assigned to God After having nudged him out to the periphery of our secularized life, his truth is no longer welcome in our public discourse. The engine of modernity rumbles on, and he is but a speck in its path. 1994. What David Wells was seeing is that this promise that the glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, will fill the earth even as the waters cover the seas is veiled such that God is weightless. He's insignificant. And if that's true in 1994, how much more so today, brothers and sisters. The changes that happen in the world around us, the anti-Christian, the anti-church changes that are happening in the world around us seem to be increasing and multiplying at exponential rates. So what are we to make of this promise? God promises, and yet it does not seem to be coming to pass. You see, that's the beauty, I think, of what God is laying out for us here. It's no doubt why in verse 4 of chapter 2, he calls Habakkuk and his people to live by faith. You see, you and I are those who don't walk by sight. We, we walk by faith. We live by faith. If we were to live by sight, we would lose hope and we would give up because the promise doesn't seem to be coming, pa- coming to pass. But God is saying, hold fast. Walk by faith. Our God is a God who will do what he says. And we can hold fast to that promise that he says the glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And so that's the promise veiled. Thirdly and finally I want you to see that the promise is eventually realized. We know it will be realized because God is the one who's making the promise and God does not change. He will not fall. His promises will not fall to the ground. They will all come to pass. Paul tells us all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. So that all of God's promises will come to pass and we can rest on that truth. But if you remember... This phrase, this phrase, the the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth even as the waters cover the seas, is something that occurs in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. If you remember what's going on in Isaiah chapter 11, this is a prophecy of the the coming seed of David, the coming descendant of David, the stump, the one who would come from David and would be the Messiah of the world. And we're told in Isaiah 11 that when this coming one comes that the lion will lay down with the lamb and peace will come on earth and then the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the seas. You see, this is a a promise that will ultimately be fulfilled in Christ. At the last day. When Jesus returns, then and only then will we see the knowledge of the glory of the Lord filling the earth, even as the waters cover the seas. It's then that Paul says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where we're heading. We may not see it yet, but hold fast, brothers and sisters, because it's coming. And one day that glory will be seen. And God will be seen as weighty and as significant in the eyes of all people. Some voluntarily will bow the knee to King Jesus. Some must be compelled. But all will see the knowledge of the glory. Of the Lord. It will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. But you know, to wrap things up, our God is a God of means. He promises that He will do this, He will fill the earth with His knowledge, the knowledge of His glory, even as the waters cover the seas. But God is a God who uses the efforts and the actions and the prayers and the giving of his people to bring those things to pass. And so as we think about missions and as we think about the missions conference even here this year, we look at this verse and we we realize that you and I have a part to play. Yes, God is sovereign and yes, God's going to bring this promise to pass. Ultimately, in and through Christ, at the last day, this promise will be fulfilled. But you and I have the privilege of being part of the fulfillment of that promise. And we do that by our praying. We pray that God would give people who do not see how weighty, how significant He is, that God would open their eyes to see the weightiness, to see the significance of the Lord so that the earth might be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We give. We give so that the earth might be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the of the Lord. We go. We go so that the earth might be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord even as the waters cover the seas. You see, everything in our lives is meant to be unto that mission. That's God's mission. And because we are God's people, that's our mission too. And so we live And so we go, and so we give, and so we pray, and so we speak. When the opportunity arises at the workplace, or in your school, or in your home, or in your community, your neighborhood, when the opportunity arises, we speak about Christ so that the earth might be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. I want to end with simply reminding us of the motivation for all of this. The motivation for living all of life such that this mission, this great mission, this great promise that God is making to Habakkuk and to the people of Judea, uh, Judah and to you and me might come to pass. That the, the, the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. The motive is found in Jesus Christ. Because you see, Jesus has taken all of our sins upon himself so that we might be set free those of you who know me will know one of my favorite hymns is it is well with my soul and one of my favorite verses is what I think is verse 3 in our hymnals and it goes something like this my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It's easy to become overwhelmed with guilt and shame, to be reminded of our sin because we live with it every day. We need to be reminded that Jesus died for all of our sin, not just part of it, but it's all been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more so that we can respond in worship and say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. That's the motivation for worship. That's the motivation for going. That's the motivation for giving. That's the motivation for speaking. That's the motivation for praying. That's the motivation for living a life that will result in the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord even as the waters cover the seas. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, how grateful we are for this time together this morning. Press your word upon our hearts and our minds. Motivate us, Father, to live as you would have us live so that your great promise might come to pass. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand as we sing our, our hymn of response Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane. of the opportunities to meet some of our missionaries at their tables and linger and talk about what God is doing all over the world and find out more about how you can be involved. Hear the benediction of God. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, amen.